Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, March, the first edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is officially Combine Weekend. Measurements from the skill players, including Kyler Murray, who will be our prospect of the day today, and what would it take to go get him. Plus, we'll end the show with a segment on the right time to pursue your franchise quarterback, and of course, the Twitter mailbag. All of that, a mock draft, and much, much more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Tell a friend about the podcast. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com, your number one source for all your daily Dolphins written content needs. And of course, last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast to get you ready for April's NFL Draft. We have a busy, busy Friday show for you guys today. Let's go. That's another This whole podcast is going to be about the draft and the combine, so we're going to flip things around a little bit today and lead off the show with the Friday mock draft. As you guys know, every Friday I've been doing the mock draft for the Dolphins, and we'll do that up until April's draft, but today I have one big thing coming for you guys at the end of the episode talking about the NFL and when to approach the quarterback position for your team that is rebuilding But this mock draft comes via the idea of some tradebacks and some ideas of how to get those tradebacks. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Kyler Murray goes number one to the Cardinals, so he's off the board. Dwayne Haskins comes off to the Giants, either at six or via a trade-up. Irrelevant, but either way, both quarterbacks go off the board. And now the Dolphins have to ask themselves if they want to stay put and select somebody like an Ed Oliver, a Greedy Williams, a Cody Ford, whoever it might be. And we have to predict a specific team that comes up to draft a specific player if the Dolphins do want to explore a trade-out. So the Dolphins, not in the best position to do the business. They do sell out at the spot, but at sort of a reduced cost. And with Florida's right tackle Jawan Taylor on the board, who the Dolphins met with on Tuesday, by the way, the Minnesota Vikings say, you know what? Kirk Cousins got beat up too much last year. We have to protect him and get better. And we don't want the Falcons or the Browns taking our guy who are ahead of us in the draft. So we're going up from number 18 to go get Jawan Taylor at 13. So the Dolphins fall back five spots in the draft and pick up a third round pick number 81 as a result. Now Miami's on the clock at pick number 18 and DK Metcalf is still out there the freak of a receiver with the 1.6% body fat, which we'll see if that's true or not. Not wanting the Steelers or the Seahawks to take him two picks later, the Indianapolis Colts come calling for Metcalf. They've got T.Y. Hilton, and they want to compliment him, so they offer up pick 26 in the first round and pick 59 in the second round. And remember, the Colts have two second-round draft picks from the Sam Darnold trade with the Jets last year, so now the Dolphins have 26 pick in the first round, and we are ready to draft with two second-rounders and two third-rounders, and this is what it looks like. Number one, 26th overall safety, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida, a perfect fit for this defense. 
Number two, 48 overall, offensive guard Chris Lindstrom from Boston College, a plug-and-play starter right away. Number two, 59 overall, cornerback Rock Yassin out of Temple, a tempo setter, also a day-one starter at the opposite corner of Xavier Howard. Number three, pick 78, center Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M. He comes in and starts right away as well. Number three, number 81 overall, defensive end Charles Amenahu out of Texas. He can come in and play 50-60% of the snaps in his rookie year as well. And then in the fourth round, pick number 116, we're taking quarterback Jarrett Stidham out of Auburn. He's going to compete with Rudolph and Luke Falk for the starting job as the Dolphins kick the can down the road and approach the quarterback position next year when they miss out on Kyler Murray. In the fifth round, pick 151, wide receiver David Stills, the fifth out of West Virginia. In the sixth round, 188 overall, running back James Williams out of Washington State University. Go Cougs. He's a phenomenal pass receiving back. If you have not caught him yet, take a look at some of his highlight clips. In the seventh round, pick 234, linebacker and project Terrell Hanks out of New Mexico State. That's my picks. I'm sticking with it in the trade down scenario. If they could do that, I would be thrilled. But these trade downs are awfully tough to execute. Miami might have to take a little bit less on the dollar for picks like that because, frankly, there just aren't a lot of guys on the board that are attractive worth coming up for. All right, let's kind of stop bearing the lead here today and come out with the big news that we heard on Thursday, Kyler Murray's measurements. He's 5 foot 10, 207 pounds with nine and a half inch hands. That's the same size basically as Russell Wilson on the build and the hands are a quarter inch bigger than Baker Mayfield's who were nine and a quarter last year. Kyler will not run. He will not do on-field drills in Indianapolis. So we do not get to see that. But there were some interesting sound bites from other teams regarding the quarterback position and teams the Dolphins would have to compete with to go up and get a quarterback in this draft. And first, the Arizona Cardinals, the ones that hold the key, the lottery ticket, the golden ticket. And Steve Kime, the general manager, and Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach, were not exactly aligned in their approach as Kingsbury was more, maybe it was good cop, bad cop, because Kingsbury was very adamant about Josh Rosen being his guy going forward. But then Steve Kime comes in there and says that Josh Rosen is our starting quarterback for now. And the mode or the tone of it, I guess, has to be heard. But I think it was more of a way of him just kind of saying, well, our options are open. If you want to call us for the pick, you're free to go ahead and do so. But also they could just be saying, we're taking Kyler Murray and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. And then it was the Oakland Raiders and Mike Mayock, who I thought were a little bit more transparent than most teams tend to be. And he was talking about the opportunity to always be looking to upgrade your roster at every single position. And they're open to that idea, but the most valuable thing to have is a franchise quarterback. And we've got that in our building with Derek Carr. And I found that very genuine. Of course, you can go back to Mayock's track record as a draft analyst. He was very high on Derek Carr that year. And that's kind of where the idea of Kyler Murray begins to enter the fray for the Miami Dolphins at pick number four with the Oakland Raiders because it's been reported that the Raiders want to kind of do the Browns thing and continue to work back in the draft, accumulate draft picks like they did with the Khalil Mack trade. Didn't really work out for him. The Amari Cooper trade, that didn't work out for him. And now try to get more and more picks to really rebuild this team under what is a 10-year window, a crazy 10-year window under John Gruden. And now with Mike Mayock, and there is that past relationship there between Miami and the Raiders. You have Reggie McKenzie now in the building who worked with the Raiders last year. So there is an opportunity for the Dolphins to maybe call the Oakland Raiders and say, if you're not taking Kyler Murray, if the Cardinals didn't take him, the Niners and Jets go with Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen, whatever it is, and Kyler Murray sits there at number four, what will it take for us to come up and get him off the board? 
I think it's going to be the 13th pick, obviously, the 48th pick, obviously, next year's number one, and there might have to be some more sweetener on top of that. You guys know by now I would do it, but I think that's where the Kyler Murray discussion begins and ends for the Dolphins. Pick number four with the Raiders, two two number one draft picks, a number two draft pick, and probably some more than that. What it all boils down to is this. You have two options for the 2019 NFL season. Tell me what you want to do. You can either tank and basically throw away an entire season of football for yourself or sell out the draft and go for Kyler Murray. Which one do you prefer? I have my preference. Obviously, that mock draft I laid out in the trade-down scenario would be great if you can execute it. Even still, Kyler Murray, to me, number one player on the board. I'll take him all day, every day, and run to the bank laughing with an all-pro-level quarterback. In my opinion, an all-pro-level quarterback. All right, we're going to finish up the measurable notes, talk about some Dolphins visits, and get into the mailbag. We'll do all that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter, at Wingfield NFL, and the show, at Locked On Fins. We've got some Dolphins meetings to track officially at the Combine in Indianapolis as all the teams are there getting their due diligence done on all these prospects. It's a fun weekend to be an NFL fan, and we have you guys covered on all the stuff up on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as a recap podcast on Sunday night talking about all the position groups that worked out except for the DBs who will go on Monday. The big news of the Combine interview for the Miami Dolphins, however, is that they did interview Kyler Murray on Thursday night. That was a preference of their They also, we mentioned this earlier, interviewed Florida right tackle Jawan Taylor. They also met with running backs Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, David Montgomery out of Iowa State, Elijah Holyfield out of Georgia, and Daryl Henderson from Memphis. And before we jump into the Twitter mailbag, I got some interesting measurement notes here from the Combine, aside from Kyler Murray's big day. Number one, DK Metcalf talked about him in the open, checking in with 1.6% body fat. What? How is that even possible? I think like 3% is like an unhealthy mark and he's half that. I'm not sure if I buy that one. Garrett Bradbury, the center out of North Carolina State, a first round prospect through and through, did 34 bench reps. That's a great number for Bradbury, who is a smooth zone guy that people worry about power with him. So 34 bench reps is a great number. Obviously, your power comes from your base, but he got it done in the gym. He worked his ass off to get to that level. I am certain of that. Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State, a wingspan of 87 and 7 8 inches. He's like a freaking Winnebago out there between his two arms. Holy Christ, that guy is huge. Six foot five and 3 8 inches for Hakeem Butler. On the other side of the spectrum, Hollywood Brown was just 166 pounds. I almost weigh that much, and I'm tiny. That's concerning for him, even if Deshaun Jackson was 169 pounds at his combine weigh-in. And the note on Hollywood Brown, who has a Liz Frank injury, probably can't really work out that much. He came to Oklahoma at 130 pounds. That is crazy for a football player, but he runs like the wind, so I'm sure he'll be fine because... His game is speed. Elijah Holyfield did 26 bench reps. Rodney Anderson from Oklahoma did 25. And Miles Gaskin from Washington did 24. Some great running back numbers there. We're going to recap the combine on Monday show like I talked about. But for now, let's go ahead and jump into the Twitter mailbag. And by now, you guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter on Thursday mornings. 
I guess, afternoons for you guys on the East Coast, ask you to ask me a question on the podcast here. We'll answer it if we can get to it. But there was 33 questions in the Twitter mailbag today, so I'm going to fly through as many as I possibly can. And the first one here comes from Lee at Lee Top Landing. If the Dolphins have had gotten wins against the Bengals and Colts, are we still looking for a new quarterback? I thought those losses were more on the coaching staff. Yeah, I don't think they are because Adam Gaze is still here because the Dolphins go to the playoffs and they don't fire him. And I think he makes an argument that Ryan Tannehill with the injuries kind of prohibited his play from getting better. And I think Gay sells himself on the idea that he can get more out of Ryan Tannehill once again. And we're coming back with Gay's and Tannehill if they win those two games. So I guess depending on how you look at it, it could have been a good thing that that happened depending on where you are with Gay's and Tannehill, obviously as a Dolphins fan. Next question here comes from Corey Ashburn. He is at Corey Ashburn PFN. Would you consider DK Metcalf at 13? He's a freak and technically good as well. Sky high potential. I agree with you on that, Corey. I know you're a big wide receiver guy as well. So am I. I love watching these physical specimens come through. It's just crazy what has happened to the position. And Metcalf is getting some run on today's show. And I thought about that, the idea of taking him there. And you're probably going to get a lot of pushback on this from other Dolphins fans. But I don't think that same way of they are already pretty good at wide receiver. And even though I ranked the position group as number one on the team, if you think he's the best player there and you're confident he can be a stud playmaker for you, just take him. Because I always go back to like the Vikings with Adrian Peterson and the name is drawn a blank right now. Moeldy Moore maybe had a big, or Chester Taylor. I can't remember who it was. Somebody had a big year. Adrian Peterson falls to them. They take Peterson. And if you take a Hall of Fame level player, a Pro Bowl level player, no one's going to give a damn about the value. All this stuff is really overblown this time of year. A year from now, no one's going to care. So the answer, if you believe in him to me, Corey, yes, of course I would. Next question comes from JT Evans, hashtag get a quarterback at JT underscore Evans 97. Let's assume Haskins and Murray are out of reach. Which quarterbacks would you want that you think have franchise potential and or can get you to 2020? And he has a part two question. I'll get to that here in a second, JT. The first part of that, I like Jarrett Stidham because of the physical traits. If I'm going to take a guy in the mid to late rounds, I want him to have the boom bust potential because Brett Rippon to me is a good looking quarterback, a guy that can maybe be a fringe level starter, definitely a backup. And I probably feel the same way about Gardner Minshew way later in the draft, like seventh, maybe even undrafted free agent. But if I'm going to take a guy that I want to have a chance to maybe be a starter, I want elite physical traits. And Stidham has the big-time arm to make that happen. And he was a five-star talent coming out of high school. So I want to see if I can recreate some of that magic because he wasn't a good player at Auburn. That's just how it was. But maybe he can be one of those guys that's a late bloomer and evolves into his own skill set. And part two was talking about Josh Rosen. At what cost would you be down for trading Josh Rosen? Look, I don't like the player, so there's nothing I would do. I would just, I would hang up the phone because to me, not even, I have so much conviction in my negativity for the player that I think any pick you spend on him is a waste because I just think you're wasting your time and spinning your wheels with Josh Rosen. So I would not even explore the Josh Rosen idea. Next question here comes from Will. He is at Will J. Reeves. Who are your least favorite prospects who could fall to the Dolphins at 13? I know everybody seems to like Byron Murphy out of Washington and he's a great cover guy, but I just think there's something to be said at the position or even on defense in general that if you don't like contact, it's going to be a hard go for you and he doesn't like making tackles. So I would say Byron Murphy out of Washington, number one. And to be perfectly frank, 
any offensive lineman that gets drafted there that does not come from a trade down because I think the depth of this draft on offensive line is right in the glut of that 25 to like 75 range where I think there's probably going to be four or five starters alone in that range. And this isn't to disparage like Jonah Williams or Jawan Taylor or Cody Ford. I just don't think the value is there because of the depth at the position. And that's something scouts and teams and executives all have to look at how the draft board stocks up. They do their own mock draft to kind of envision these scenarios and how they'll play out. And that's something I think teams will learn as this process goes along. The offensive line value in this draft is later on on day two. And so I'd pass on the entire offensive line at pick 13 unless I can trade back in the first round. And then it's game on from that point. Next question here comes from Jake. He is at... He is at underscore Jake Sparrow. If we pass on a quarterback this year and get a top 10 pick next year, which other teams would be competing for a quarterback and which team with an older quarterback could be in the mix to trade up other than the Patriots? We talk about the Steelers and the Saints and the the Chargers and the Patriots every single year, it seems like. And here we are, 2019, Rivers, Roethlisberger, Breeze, and Brady all still getting the job done as well as they ever did, except for maybe Big Ben. I think he's kind of regressed a little bit. But that's neither here nor there. I think the Bengals could be a good option to come up for a trade. That team needs something, anything positive in the headlines right now. And going up to get like a Dwayne Haskins or a Kyler Murray would be a big upgrade to me over Andy Dalton, who I think is a reasonable level starter, but you really don't want to get any worse than Andy Dalton. I'll throw a surprise in there for you and say the Carolina Panthers because... Cam has that shoulder injury that just is not, that's not a good situation to be in for a quarterback. It almost cost Andrew Luck his career. And if they decide they want to maybe go in another direction and want to trade off Cam Newton for a first round draft pick, maybe they do that. I doubt it, but we're having fun here on a Friday podcast. As far as teams that compete with Miami next year for a top pick, I mean, I think that's really hard to say. I think the Jets are going to be god-awful next year right along with us if we can't get the quarterback. I think the Bills are going to suck again as the Patriots win the division by freaking Halloween once more. The Raiders are a safe bet to be a bad team because they traded away all their good players. The Redskins are in an awful spot and that fan base continues to turn on ownership every single year and why wouldn't they? So I'll say Oakland, the Jets, the Bills and Washington are the four teams competing with Miami to to suck out and tank for Tua or whatever you want to call it next year. And the funny thing there is two of those teams already have their quarterbacks and they're both in our division, which we'll see what happens to Darnold and Allen. But it's kind of interesting that both those teams have the quarterbacks and are still probably going to suck in 2019. Next question here from Mal Swift at Mal Swift ACC. This talk about Xavier Howard being on the trade block seems odd considering his ability. What would it take in return for you to be okay with him being traded? Look, if Xavier Howard was in this draft right now, he would go off the board in the top three easily. Maybe number one, maybe number two, probably not ahead of Bosa and Williams. So I'll say that Xavier Howard would go number three in this draft outside of the quarterback chaos that is for sure going to ensue. So with that, that's my value. Give me a first and a second, or maybe even more than that. He's an all-pro level cornerback. I would pay him and make him the focal point of the defense, again, unless you can trade him to go up for a quarterback like Kyler Murray. So the cost is at least a one and then some for Xavier Howard. Next question here comes from Dange Jared. He is at DangeJange86. What role does Rashad Jones play in the new defense? Is he more of a hybrid linebacker or are we playing with three safeties? There's going to be a lot of defensive backs on the field at all times. So he's definitely a safety in this defense, playing more closely to the line of scrimmage and possibly matching up and pass in the passing game with certain uh, players like tight ends or maybe even slot guys, though that's not his strong suit. I think he'll be used primarily as an extra body for run defense and also blitzing more this year, something he did not do at all in 2018. 
Okay, we've got time for one, maybe two more here. This one comes from Scott F. Kenward. He is at Scott F. Kenward. Do you believe that Ross has given Greer the full authority to handle the draft as he sees fit? That's a great question, and I think that he is going to do that. And I think a big reason for that is because of the power team that Greer was able to assemble around him. Marvin Allen is a huge, big-time name in the NFL, guys. That's a big-time hire for Chris Greer. And Reggie McKenzie might even be bigger than that. So I think that that was kind of Ross's thinking, saying, okay, you got the GM job. I trust you. You're well-respected in the scouting community. You can also obviously put together a good staff around you. I'll step away. I'm not going to have that Minka Fitzpatrick meltdown last year that I had where I wanted you guys to trade back and save money and accumulate draft picks like the Patriots do. I'll step back this year and allow you guys to do your thing. But then there's a part of me that says Stephen Ross is 80-something years old. He, I mean, people aren't patient in general. Do you think he's patient? We heard Chris Greer even himself say that Stephen Ross is competitive and volatile, which to me is the craziest thing I've ever heard someone call their boss. So I just wonder, I, I, I want to say yes, Scott, but I think at the end of the day, Stephen Ross's emotions might get the best of him come draft day. So I wouldn't trust it fully, but I think yes, and I want to say yes. All right, one more question here. This run comes from Conflict at Conflict TD. How many years until we're contending for the playoffs? And I've talked about this on Twitter. I've gotten tagged in freezing cold takes, whatever you want to call it. If Kyler Murray's on this team next year, they're going to the playoffs in my opinion because I think he's going to have a huge impact as a rookie quarterback. I think teams are going to have a hell of a time defending him and dealing with him in year number one. I think he only gets better beyond that year number one as well. So I think that in a weak AFC, as far as the bottom part of the uh, the playoffs go, I think Miami could win nine, 10 games and sneak into the playoffs with Kyler Murray. If they go the rebuild route and trade back and accumulate picks, I'll say 2021, unless they get Tua, it'll be 2020. So let's call it 2021 or Tua in 2020 or Kyler in 2019. All right, that's a great Twitter mailbag. Again, thank you to all of you that wrote into the show. If I didn't get to your question, please keep writing me. We'll get to the questions next week, probably earlier on the podcast on Thursday and Friday. But next here on the show, we're going to finish things up with the one big thing on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. It's a Friday. The snow is still consuming me out here in Washington State, but luckily we have the combine this weekend to get us through. We can be shut-ins and just watch football and piss off the wives and everything that goes into that, even into late February and early March on this March, the first edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I don't know if this is a Kyler Murray thing, a quarterback thing, or what type of thing it actually is. But he is just the ultimate lightning rod of debate on Twitter, specifically as it pertains to the Miami Dolphins and making a move to identify and go get the near unanimous number one quarterback available in this draft class. And so stepping away from the Dolphins lens specifically, I wanted to touch on a roster building philosophy as it pertains to the quarterback position on today's One Big Thing. One Big Thing. The franchise quarterback, the most important, the most heavily scrutinized, and often the most disagreed upon position in all of sports. They come in all shapes, sizes, and playing styles, and that makes for some riveting, sometimes heated debates. On one hand, you have the side that acknowledges that without a legitimate top-tier level quarterback, the Super Bowl is unattainable. And that side, well, frankly, is based in facts. 
There's a reason the AFC has only been represented in the big game by Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, and a rare Joe Flacco blip on the radar over the better part of two decades. Then, in the other hand, you have the side that insists you must build the rest of the roster first, solidify the trenches, and then drop the quarterback into an already established team. The latter group, though, they're right, in theory. Because you see, applying the blanket statement that you must fix the other holes before you spend resources on the franchise quarterback, that is a given. Who wouldn't agree with that? It's the practice that outweighs the theory both categorically and unequivocally, however. Dolphins fans should know this as well as anybody. Jake Long was once tabbed as one of those guys that, quote, solves your left tackle problem for a decade, and quote, only he didn't. He, in the way many are terrified of Kyler Murray, fell victim to crippling, accumulating injuries that swallowed an all-pro up and spit out a mediocre, barely starter-quality player by the time he hit his second contract. You had Mike Pouncey, Jawan James, and Brandon Albert all on the roster at the same time, each a first-round draft pick, and Albert himself costing a pretty penny via a hefty free agency contract. Let's revisit some history here with other teams in this approach. There are three teams that took the, quote, build the team and drop the quarterback in, end quote, approach and did so successfully. First, it was the Seahawks. Prior to Pete Carroll's arrival, Seattle was a dumpster fire. 4-12 in 2008, 5-11 in 2009, and then Carroll arrives. He takes them to a division title, albeit at 7-9, then repeats that 7-9 record in 2011 without a playoff appearance. Then in 2011, the Seahawks drafted offensive linemen with each of their first two picks. James Carpenter out of Alabama. He was a so-so player who got better when he went to the Jets. And John Moffitt out of Wisconsin, who retired after three awful years in the NFL. They also landed K.J. Wright and Richard Sermon in that draft class, but in the fourth and fifth rounds, respectively. Then, in 2012, they come back with Bruce Irvin in the first, and then Bobby Wagner in the second, and Russell Wilson in the third. The first round pick, by far the worst of that bunch, two potential Hall of Famers, and one good pass rusher in his career. Wilson starts opening day, the team goes 11-5, and and is a 58-yard field goal away from the NFC Championship game. They've missed the playoffs once, they've gone to two Super Bowls, and won one in that time. And how about the Chiefs? Perennially unable to get over the hump with Alex Smith, they decided not to rest on their laurels and sell the farm to go get a guy they identified as a difference maker, and boy was he. Smith starts the next season, plays great, they take another early playoff exit, enter Patrick Mahomes. He wins MVP, breaks records, and gets the Chiefs their first home playoff win in almost 30 years. He's an overtime away from going to the Super Bowl and even closer, a D Ford offsides away from going to the big game. The Browns, they tanked for two full years. One tie, 31 losses prior to drafting Baker Mayfield. Then they did, and all that talent had developed, and even still, before starting Mayfield, the Browns were 0-1-1 and trailed the Jets by two touchdowns on a Thursday night before Baker Mayfield comes into the game. Cleveland comes back, wins its first game in almost three years, and proceeds to play 500 ball the rest of the way under Mayfield, a market improvement from the previous two years when they couldn't win one damn game. Two other examples, also teams that have played in Super Bowls in the last two years, Philadelphia and the Los Angeles Rams, didn't really have the rosters to support a Jared Goff or a Carson Wentz at the time, 
They traded pretty much entire draft classes to go get those guys, despite the fact that the rosters around them were not yet great, and everything developed and evolved two years into the program and three years in for the Rams, who lost in the Super Bowl, and year number two for the Eagles, they won the Super Bowl. So look, the Dolphins do have holes on the offensive line, at defensive end, and in the secondary. Nobody's arguing that. But the one constant in the NFL among a myriad of different blueprints and philosophies it takes to build a winner is that you gotta have the quarterback. Because once you've got that right, everything else becomes demonstrably easier. All right, that is my time today. We are going to have a live document updating Miami's combine visits throughout the weekend on LockedOnDolphins.com. We'll have stories on any breaking news, trades, cuts, or otherwise. And as always, all the analysis you've come to know and love from the Locked On Dolphins brand on the podcast and on the site. But that will be my time today. If you guys have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast and load that thing up right quick. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Sunday night for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Oh,